Carly Zufall, where are you? There you are. Did you know that our own Carly Zufall, right next to Carly Grothy, by the way, <clears throat> was one of two or three, how many refs? Three refs that got to ref the girls' state double-A high school championship last night. Holy smokes. And, and I know Eden Prairie slipped you a few bucks and they ended up winning. <clears throat> what an honor to be one of the three best refs in the, in the state. So congratulations. I just thought I'd honor you for that. Carol called her on her cell phone and she was just coming out of the parking lot you know, last night and it was like, oh wow, that's crazy. So congratulations. Um, I have a little commercial here before I get started. Uh, I am, can I borrow your on-ramp? I didn't, I didn't grab one this morning. If you notice here in my little, uh, my little blurby thing there that you need really good eyesight for, sorry about that. Um, it says, are you up to the March to Wis Wisdom Madness, or excuse me, Arp to March to Wisdom Challenge. A lot of people think of March Madness. This is a March to Wisdom. Huh? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not, but uh, <laughs> there's 31 days in March, uh, and, and what I'd like to do as our family's going to do this, and as many people as want to join us, you can. Uh, what we're doing is we're going to read a proverb a day, uh, and we are uh, then going to, from that proverb, we're going to pick one of the proverbs that we like, and we're going to think about it or meditate on it. In our case, we're going to hope to memorize it. I'm challenging my kids to memorize 31 proverbs in 31 days. There's some money on the line, yes. <laughs> no, they're paying me to get the opportunity to do this. Uh, no, uh, and if, you know, and so, uh, but I'm just challenging you to think, at least read through a proverb a day. During the month of March, and there's 31 days, 31 proverbs, and then try to focus on one of them. And what I'm asking, if you'd like to be part of it, is then go to my blog, uh, stevetreichler.blogspot.com, which is on here in really tiny print, get a, sorry about that. And... And then just throw in which one ministered to you that day of the proverb for that, for that uh, particular day, you know, which, whatever day of the, the month it is. And so uh, this is something I did in college. I memorized a verse out of Proverbs, and to this day, still some of those Proverbs are uh, coming back and uh, encouraging me and haunting me. One of them was Proverbs 9.8, do, uh, no, do not rebuke a mocker and he will hate you, rebuke a wise man and he will love you. I remember thinking about that verse, and I walked into, when I was in seminary, I, I said, Lord, I haven't been rebuked in a while. What is with that? And I remember uh, walking out of my car and going to the bookstore, and I was standing in the bookstore, and uh, there was me and this other guy, and we were in that bookstore, and we were bitterly and openly complaining about a TA that had graded us so harshly, and then the other side of the, of the book, you know, the other side was the TA. And he came over to me and goes, Steve, can I see you? And I said, oh, Lord, you're answering my prayer, aren't you? <laughs> and he proceeded to very kindly and gently say, if you have a problem, I'd really like it if you came to me, which, of course, is duh. And that was a great little lesson. So, uh, but I'm sure if you memorize Proverbs, good things will happen to you. So um, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I often wonder what the, when, I'm, when my kids are old like me, what things they will remember, uh, you know, what events you take them to, you know, the things you've said to them, what is it that's going to stick? And for me, sometimes it's just silly little things that my dad did or my parents did. 
And one time, I remember my dad taking me to uh, a father-son banquet. It was in the basement of the First Presbyterian Church in Hibbing, Minnesota. And we were down in this basement. And I don't know, I must have been six or seven or whatever. And I remember there was a magician. Uh, excuse me, an illusionist. You weren't supposed to call him a magician in a church, I guess. So uh, they called him an illusionist. And he did all these fancy things. And he asked for a volunteer. And uh, there, there's a variety of responses to that, you know? You ever, have, you ever seen that, kids? Like, a lot of kids are like, and they run down front, and I was one of those guys that like, whoa, you know, no chance. You know, I'll just sit over here and I'll let somebody else, and it was like the weirdest thing. He just, everybody else was screaming, and he just looked at me in the back and said, come on up. It's like, me? Yeah, you, come on. Whoa, freaky. So I got to come up and be on a stage with this guy, and he did some tricks, and he pulled rabbits out of my head or whatever. I don't remember exactly what they were. But that, that whole thing of I didn't even ask. I wasn't asking or anything. And this guy, for whatever reason, maybe just looking for the dorkiest kid in the room or I don't know what, but he just focused in on me, and he had my complete attention, and it, we locked eyes, and he picked me. We're in a series right now called the, the Gospel of John, Part 2. We're in the second chunk of this book, this wonderful book. Oh, man. Every time I read this book, I fall more and more in love with it. And I hope you are, too. We're in the second part of it right now where Jesus is going to be revealing himself a little bit, a little bit more, a little bit more. He's going to constantly be, be uh, showing himself to people. And we're right now in a part where he is picking his followers, his intimate followers, his disciples, the ones who are going to be really close to him. And we saw last week, if you want to show that one, John, John 1, 35 through 42, that a couple of these people came from John the Baptist. Remember, John said, look, they're the Lamb of God, and he's telling his followers, follow after him. Most scholars think that if you see here in verse um, 37, the two disciples said then, turning around, Jesus saw them, they follow him. Jesus turns to them and says, what are you looking for? What do you seek? What do you want? They said, where are you staying? We'd like to hang with you. And in verse 40, you see that Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard. Most scholars think that John, the author of this gospel, was the second one. Of course, it's, we have to kind of read in the white spaces there, but that's what they think. And so these two were actively seeking after Jesus. They, they followed him. They just, like a puppy dog, followed him home. Look what followed me home. Can I keep it? Kind of a deal. Okay? So, but they're going to see something very different today. If you want to turn to, uh, open your Bible, or you can just follow along on the screen, however you'd like to do it. Uh, John chapter 1, we're going to look at uh, day 5 of this first week. Remember, look at the different points. It's next day, next day, next day. I think this is Friday. Could be Thursday. It's possible. It matters how you interpret uh, whether they... Uh, Andrew got his brother Simon on that evening or not. Most people kind of divided on that, but it's either Thursday or Friday, and I think it's Friday, so it's Friday. So, how's <laughs> that for arrogant? Uh, John 1, 43 through 51, and we're going to look at how some new people come on the scene and how uh, they were not exactly the types that were saying, pick me, pick me, like the first two were. Look at John 1, 43. I'm kind of highlight these one at a time. You know, yeah, there we go. John 1.43 says, The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, 
follow me. Now, I don't want to make too much about this. I don't want to read too much into the white spaces, but look what happens here. Jesus leaves the area of the Jordan River where he was hanging out with the people of John the, who were John the Baptist's followers. He leaves there, and he goes somewhere else, and it says, finding Philip. So I have to assume that what he was doing is he left to find this guy. We don't know if he knew Philip before or not. I have no idea. But he found him. He went looking for him, and he finds him. And when he finds him, he invites him to be one of his own. Follow me. Now, I don't know if that blesses you. That blesses me. That Christ has a, a lot of different ways of interacting with people. If you look at how he, these other people were following him around. If you heard last week, the other people following him around like a puppy dog. He lets them follow him for a while. Finally, he just stops, turns around and says, what do you want? Some of you in this room, that's maybe the way that, that your relationship with Jesus started. You sought hard after him. You read the Bible. You, you, where are you, God? I don't know what's going on. I, I'm confused. Some of you in the room, I've talked to some of you. You've done all kinds of different things. You've sought out other religions. You've sought out all kinds of different things. And then all of a sudden, Jesus turns to you and says, do you want to follow me? And it clicked. A lot of us are more like this guy. I certainly was. I was doing anything but looking for Jesus. Jesus came into, you know, leaving Galilee, he went to Frontier Hall. Room 496, knock, knock, knock. Why don't you follow me, he said. 486, excuse me, for those of you who live in Frontier Hall. Uh, I'm just encouraged by that. One of my favorite questions to ask people is, where are you at in your spiritual journey? Or, or how did you become a follower of, of Christ? How did that happen in your life? How did, well, you know, it's so interesting. It's as different as there are people. There are no two, you know, two stories that are the same. It's almost like asking, you know, a couple, how did you fall in love? Or how did you choose that, how did you choose that uh, course of career or something like that? It's just an interesting question to ask people because it's never the same. And it's never the same on how people come after Jesus in a very, very intimate, personal way. In this way, he knew what Philip needed. He needed to have a personal invitation. Now, look what Philip does. And now we're going to meet a new guy named Nathaniel, and we're going to see what he needs. Verse 44. The Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found, there we go, Philip found Nathaniel and told him, we have found, there's that phrase again, so, so it's interesting that he says we have found because Jesus found him. But anyway, the, he goes and finds this guy Nathaniel and he says, listen, man, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Now don't get too bent out of shape here. That he's not saying that, that uh, Jesus wasn't born of a virgin and all that. He's not saying that. He's just saying he lives in, that's all that phrase means is he's this, earthly father. He's his, he lives in his household. That's all that's referring to there. We found the one Moses wrote about in the law. In other words, the, the, what we've been waiting for is coming here, Nathaniel. Look at Nathaniel's response. This is classic. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel answered. Now that's, that's a great thing to say. We've got to kind of speculate. We're not exactly sure. Nazareth was a town of about 2,000 people. All right? So now, you might be one of those deals, like if you're from Minnesota, Wisconsin, one of those deals, where you 
I promise, no Wisconsin jokes today. I'm going to be nice. I'm going to be kind. I don't want that proverb coming back to hit me again. So, um, Nazareth is a place about 2,000 people. If you were from a town bigger than 2,000 people, you'd probably look down on them. I'm from Hibbing, Minnesota, 20,000. There's these little towns all over Hibbing, Nashwalk, uh, Kewatin, Chisholm. And, and, you know, there's even smaller. Anybody? Anybody? Nashwalk, Kewatin, Chisholm? No? Uh, oh, there? Chisholm? Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> suburb of Hibbing. Then there's, there's all these other things around Hibbing, which is really weird. They call them locations. They're not even towns. I lived out in Stunts. And uh, there's another place called Kerr. And there's all these little locations. And you, it was just known to rip on people from those other places. You just did because you did. There wasn't many people there and you could. And so maybe that's what he's doing here. 2,000 people, small deal. Maybe there might have been some rivalry going on. Maybe, a lot of people have speculated, that maybe it's because he was astute in the Old Testament and there is not one reference to Nazareth in the Old Testament. So Nazareth was not an important city. And you guess what? The Messiah is not supposed to come from Nazareth. He's supposed to come from where? Bethlehem. Well, Jesus from Nazareth, so this can't be right. Well, he was born in Bethlehem, but he grew up in Nazareth. Now, this is fantastic. This right here, this next passage, what, what Philip says to him, ah, oh, this gives me great joy. Because what should have happened if this guy was a good seminary student or a good debater would have been, no, 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 no. And he would have pushed back on him that Jesus was born in, born in Bethlehem, but he moved to Nazareth, or really, Nazareth isn't really that bad, it's got a small amount of people, or whatever. He would have debated him. He doesn't say that. Look what he says. He just says, come and see. Isn't that great? I don't know what you're talking about, man. Just come and see this. Carol and I were in uh, San Diego, uh, I think about seven years ago. And uh, I saw a dude, I saw this. Carol and I saw this with our own eyes. He took rocks, any rock, you kind of look for them, and he liked to do them in little ones and then big ones, and he'd balance them on top of each other. You ever seen anybody do this? Unbelievable. Got a picture. This is not actually him. This is, I think, this is by the Bay, uh, the Bay Bridge, um, and he had pictures all over the world of him doing this. Okay, so he was balancing these rocks, and he had like they were all over. There's probably twenty of them up, and he thought, oh, he's got to be using glue or something, you know. But it was next to the ocean. There was a little bit of wind here in San Diego, and it was enough to cause the thing to every now and then, boom, one of them would topple over. He'd go. How in the world do you do And literally, he'd take the rock, and he'd grab it, and he'd kind of feel it. He'd kind of just go like that, and he'd let go of it. He'd put a couple of those smaller ones on it. He'd put, got a big one. It'd be something like that. Uh, in fact, the way he did it was more, if you see that, that one on the left there, he would have flipped those two rocks. He'd like to have a big one, then a little one, or maybe two or three little ones and a big one. I mean, I was astounded. How in the world do you do this? And he says, I don't know. I'm just good at balancing things. I'm serious. And he was really corny. You have to live your life in balance and all this kind of thing, you know. And, and, but I'm just amazed at this guy. I guess this is the only thing you can do for a living if you do this is just go around and have a little basket out there. And I, I don't normally do it, but I'd toss some bucks in there, you know. It's like, well, this is awesome. Okay, so, so this has a point. Um, so I'm with a whole group of people, a bunch of people who are starting churches all over the country. We're in San Diego, and I see this, and I go, wait right here. And I go run and get some people, 
And I, you got to see this. You got to see this. This is incredible. You got, I, these guys bouncing. You got to come see this. So he comes up and see this. And the guy's still there. He's still bouncing the rocks. But you can't, when you see the guy doing it, you just, there's nothing much you can say, but whoa, that's awesome. Those must be trick rocks or something. So he'd say, point to a rock. Oh, that rock. Okay, pick up that rock. Whoa, that's so cool. So then I go and get more people, and I come back, and now he's gone. But there's all these rocks left up. And I said, well, he was here, he did this, and, and, and here's all these rocks, and they're, they're standing up like this, and he was really here, and he did this. I mean, what do people think? No, the wind just did that. I mean, there, there's no way. I mean, you got to... Right? That doesn't make any sense. It's, I'm explaining what's happening. There's other people who can testify to it too, saying, yeah, there was a guy here and he did this. But they didn't get a chance to see the guy. Come and see. Come and see is way better than, let me show, let me, let me explain this to you. Well, you see, every, every rock has, a, an, you know, if you just draw a line through it, it has an, a balancing point on it. And that point, all you have to do is figure out the math of all around there. And it obviously at that point will be able to balance. Of course it can right? This isn't a physics lesson. I don't want you to draw something. I want to see a dude bouncing a rock on little rocks, right? <laughs> come and see, Philip says. Just, hey, okay, whatever, man. Just come and see. You got to check this out. Nathaniel's a skeptic. Look at how Jesus responds to him. Verse 47. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, here is a true Israelite, in whom there is nothing false. There's no deceit. In other words, that's what it literally says. There's no deceit in this guy. This guy is the real deal. Wow, he, he kind of rewards him for being skeptical. He says, this guy right here, he's a, he's a true seeker. He's a, you're really the real deal. And, and Nathaniel's like, how do you know me? Never met. And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree, before Philip called you. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, which again is a, is a, means teacher, but it means respected teacher. It's a, it's a term of endearment. It's a term of elevating someone. You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now, again, we don't got anything here but the white spaces, but we have to take a little bit of, a, 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 of an educated guess here that something significant happened under the fig tree. Either... Either Nathaniel was there praying, wouldn't that be a hoot? If he was praying and Jesus was to say, yeah, I know about your grandma who's getting uh, kidney surgery or whatever they did back then. Uh, uh, I know about this and that. That would have been a hoot. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what he was doing on the picture. But something significant so that when he says, I saw you there, instantly, instantly Nathaniel says, you're the, you're the Christ. You're the son of God. Now, many of you in this room, and a thing that we always encourage at Hope is healthy skepticism. If you're at a point in your spiritual journey where you're not even sure God is there, that is great. And maybe somebody brought you this morning, you just want to say, I, I, I can't explain that. Just come and see. Just come and see. Can't explain it. Just come and see. And you might be there. The, the, the thing about that, though, is, is what exactly will answer your question? If you're at, God loves healthy skepticism. He loves it. Look at how Jesus deals with Nathaniel. It's beautiful. He doesn't say, he says, how do you know me? And Jesus doesn't say, well, I'm not telling. 
right? He gives him what he needs. He gave what Philip needed. He needed a personal invitation. He knew what Nathaniel needed. Nathaniel needed someone to rock his world and to say that the, the Christ was here in the flesh. The question that I have for you, if you're in that point this morning where you're having this healthy, or you're having skepticism, the difference between, I think, healthy skepticism and what the Bible calls unbelief is, are you looking for answers? And when, found, when answers are given, are you saying, yes? In other words, I've had people say, I've got a million questions about Christianity, and I love to ask them, listen, I'm happy to talk about every single question you have, but if every single question you have is answered, will you become a follower of Christ? That's the difference, right? That's the difference between healthy skepticism and just unbelief. I don't want to believe, and here's why, blah, 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 blah. And you answer all those, and blah, 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 there's all these other ones. That's the difference. If those questions are answered, and you know what? All of us have to go through that phase, and if you're there right now, that's, that's fine. He declares, Nathaniel declares, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. It was that turning point for Nathaniel. It's all he needed was to know that Jesus saw him under the fig tree. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Could have just ended there. We got the point across. Two new followers of Jesus, Philip and Nathaniel. By the way, I forgot to mention this. Uh, we don't really know who Nathaniel is. <laughs> uh, if he's one of the 12 apostles, it's another name for either uh, Bartholomew or Matthew, because those are never mentioned in the book of John. Could be. Most people think it is. Uh, or it could just be a guy who just was a follower of Jesus but wasn't one of the 12. He's not mentioned again until John 21, and he's there again. So it makes you think he's one of the 12, and then it was a changeover of uh, the, the names Bartholomew or Matthew. But maybe not. We're, not. we're not told exactly. Okay. Verse 50. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the frig tree. You shall see greater things than that. And he could have just stopped there too. But here's where Kansas is going bye-bye. He then added, I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Oh, I was doing good with the fig tree thing and I'm going to see greater things, it's good. Heaven opened, descending, ascending, help me out here. And he calls himself the Son of Man. That's the first time we've seen that phrase. It's a phrase Jesus loved to call himself. And you might think, that Jesus was actually saying, I, I, you know, um, don't call me God, because that's not who I am. I'm a man. I'm a son of man. And you, you might be thinking he's taking his deity and saying, or, or he's, he's not um, affirming that he is God. Uh, it's actually just the opposite. Wanna, I want to just read uh, with you from Daniel chapter 7, which is the point in Daniel where it goes to La La Land, by the way. Daniel, the first chapter six, 1 to 6 are like history, and then Daniel chapter 7 starts like this. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream. Okay, so we're going there. And visions passed through his mind as he was laying on his bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, in my vision at night I looked, and there before me were four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came out of the sea. The first was like a lion, and it had wings of an eagle. It watched until its wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a man and the heart of a man was given to it. And there was before me a second beast which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. 
I was told, it was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back it had four wings like those of a bird. The beast had four heads, and it was given authority rule. After that in my vision at night I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, <laughs> I love that. The other stuff I'm okay with, but the horns are a mystery. Um, <laughs> uh, while I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousands times ten thousands stood before him. The court was sealed, and the books were opened. All right. This is the point. Verse 11. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words in the, horn, uh, the horn was speaking. I kept... Am I in the right place? Yeah. Um, I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body was destroyed and thrown in the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man. Bingo. Coming with the clouds of heaven. Whoa. Who comes with the cloud of heaven? God. Only God. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. Who gets those things? God. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. When Jesus uses that phrase, son of man, he's saying, I'm this guy. He's not explaining the rest of it, <laughs> but I'm that guy. So when that phrase, when Jesus says son of man, a lot of people downplay it saying, oh, listen, Jesus didn't like to claim he's, he was God. It's like, whoa, read Daniel 7, at least the parts you get at the end of that chapter. He is making a claim. Now, let's go look, and that's kind of where the son of man thing comes from. Let's take a look at this other thing. He says, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That phrase is only used one other time in the entire Bible. That whole ascending and descending thing. Anybody? <coughs> Jacob's Ladder, right? It's this, it's this kind of obscure passage in, in Genesis 28 where Jacob is now going to be told that the promise that was given to Abraham and Isaac is going to be passed to you. Okay? And it, here it is. It's in, in Genesis 28. It says, um, he's having this, 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 this vision also. It says, there above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land in which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and the south, all the peoples of the earth. Am I in the right place? I am not in the right place. Um, all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you 
until I've done what I've promised. That's a really interesting passage, but that's not the one that I wanted. So it's right before that. Let me just, that's why I bring this up here, just in case, and it happened. All right, Genesis 28. It's right before that. I must have cut and pasted a little bit off kilter. Genesis 28. He has this, he has this dream, and it's in verse, let me start out here, good. 10, I started in verse 13, that's the problem. It's in verse 10, as the title says, but it didn't land here. It says, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. I always find that interesting. Uh, yeah, that would be hard. Um, he had a dream in which he saw a stairway, or some versions say a ladder, resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. In other words, God is communicating back and forth. The, the, the action of God is going to happen back and forth here in such a way that what's going to happen next is a direct revelation of God. And then he gets the thing that I read before. I will bless you just like I blessed Abraham and Isaac. It's going to go through you too. Here's what Jesus is telling Nathaniel and everybody else. He's saying, guess what? It's cool that I said that thing about under the fig tree, but you're going to see greater things than that. In fact, in fact, you're going to see evidences of heaven being opened and angels ascending and descending in such a way that right before you, in fact, we're going to see it in chapter 2, right before you, you're going to see the acts of God Almighty happening on earth. You're going to see that throughout my whole time with you guys. You're going to see something amazing happening in your presence. The angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You notice it doesn't say ladder. Jesus is the ladder. The one he's ascending. He's ascending on Son of Man. Now, let me close with a little meditation here, a little, little thing for you to think about. First thing, where has God ascended and descended into your life? Where, where has Jesus Christ so worked in your life and changed it? I know it's so easy to think about the things that are not fixed yet, but what are those things in your life that have been changed because you're a follower of Christ? Okay, what are those things? And the second thing is, have you invited others to come and see? To come and see, and I use the phrase here, those stones that are standing on edge. To go back to my little story here, you can't bring people to a physical Jesus anymore. He's just not here physically. But the evidences of him are the stones are still standing on edge. He's ascended and descended into your life. It's something you cannot deny. He just, he's come in, he's changed your life. Are you inviting others to say, you know what, I, I, I can't explain all the things, but here, let me tell you about what the Lord has done in my life. Let me tell you about some of these things. Let me tell you about who I was before I met Jesus and who I am, who I am now. Have you invited others to come and see? Let's pray together.
Lord, I love the fact that you invite people from all kinds of different backgrounds and you invite them in all kinds of different ways. As, as many ways as there are people in this room, God, you're inviting. Father, some of us this morning need to be like Philip and uh, we are either by choice or by negligence just unaware of you. And Lord, we need you to leave the region of the Jordan River and to go to Galilee and to find us. And when you find us, to look us right in the eyes and say, follow me. God, others of us are like Nathaniel and we are skeptical. We might even have been followers of you for many years, but we're still skeptical of your work in the world, your work in our life. God, would you replace some of that unhealthy skepticism with healthy belief, healthy, uh, an eye that wants to look where you're ascending and descending and where you're moving in our lives and changing us? God, would you just do that? Lord, I pray for people this morning who are in this room and God, they are, they are at a point where they are wondering whether you're even there. Or Jesus, whether or not you hold your word, or whether you truly are the Son of God, or whether you can really take away their sin, or whether you're worthy of following. God, I pray for them this morning, that you would just open their eyes to you, that you would show yourself to them in a way that would blow them away, be as personal as they are. You'd hit them exactly where they're at, Jesus. Just come, even as we sing these last songs, Holy Spirit, we come and pray that you administer to us in those ways. In Jesus' name.